Welcome to In Scripture Podcast. We're so glad to have you with us while we dive into Scripture to dissect God's Word verse by verse. Listen with us and don't forget to leave any questions or feedback as you journey with us through His Word. Welcome back, everybody, to In Scripture Podcast. You welcome back. <laughs> no, you welcome back. We've been here. <laughs> It's rude to interrupt. Didn't your mom teach you any <laughs> ethics? Interrupt. Yeah, guys. Did you say interrupt your elders? I wasn't here for the last episode, but I listened to it before this recording to catch up. And I think Serge maybe said five words <laughs> the entire episode. Honestly. Trust me, we made it known. <laughs> he just started talking. You're already interrupting him, Alex. Leave him alone. <laughs> Are you done? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Believe it, I'm actually done. All right, I'm, uh, I'm done. Uh, Today we're gonna be going into uh, Genesis chapter two. Um, Genesis? <laughs> no, we're not. Maybe one day. It starts with the same letter. Okay, give me a break. Galatians, not Genesis. There you go. That'd be fun. We should go through Genesis. Oh man. Um, yeah. So we're gonna be going to Galatians chapter two. We've been busy for the last couple of weeks. It's been a little bit harder getting together more consistently, but um, hopefully. As some things wind down in our lives before the summer break kicks in, um, we might be able to be a little bit more consistent in our recordings. Uh, but what have you been busy with, Serge? I've been busy with traveling. Whoa, where'd you go? Bit. Paris? Uh, I wish. Um, no. Cancun? No. I went to Cuba. Oh. Uh, not for a vacation. I was on a missions trip. Um, it was not associated with any church or organization. It was just me, my father in law, and a good friend of ours. Uh, so we went to Cuba for one week, so eight days, pretty much. Um, it was interesting experience. I've never been to Cuba before. For my father-in-law, it was his sixth time going. Uh, for a friend, it was I think it was like either his third or fourth time going. Uh, but we went with a mission of teaching existing churches on certain aspects of church. So from my father-in-law, his. Um, uh, seminars. So we did seminars. His seminars were on pastoral care. So he was his him and his friend are are targeting pastors, shepherding, how to shepherd a church. What does that look like? What does that entail? And so they're giving them uh, different topics each time they go. So this time around, my father in law did seminars on pastoral care. Um, our friend Tony he did uh, introduction into the Old Testament. So the first five books. Pretty much, and I don't think he even got to finish that because it got pretty deep. Mm. Um, next time around, they're going back again in Cuba. They are doing on hermeneutics, on exegesis, on preparation for sermons, that kind of stuff. And uh, Tony's going to continue introduction to the Old Testament prophets and stuff like that. So they're doing, they're bringing in a lot of seminary level type things uh, to Cuba and trying to do what they can with the time that God gives them. Of course, this is all free for the people there. They're not charged anything. Mm -hmm. um, my mission was to teach uh, media production ministry for for the churches there. The churches there are typically somewhat anywhere between 50 to 300 or plus people that gather. So some of the bigger churches, obviously, they are a little bit, I don't want to say better off, but they have more equipment. Uh, Cuba is a very poor country still very communist, not bloodthirsty communists like we know historically of Russia or stuff like that. 
but still a very much oppressed people, poor, not well taken care of, a lot of things taken away from them or privileges that we take for granted here in America that they just don't have, mm-hmm. such as easy access to food, groceries, you know, cars, you know, just b- building churches. Like one thing I've learned, you they are not allowed to build a new church. They can renovate existing churches that were built pre-1958, pre-revolution, but they can't build any new churches. The new things that they can build are what they call prayer rooms, uh, which have to be, for the most part, attached to some house. So usually they're, they build this open-type space. It has a ceiling or a roof of some sort, and it will have uh, three walls, and usually the fourth one's open, like there's no wall. Uh, and they're usually attached to the pastor's house that lives in that little village or community. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've been doing. Is I've um, I went to five different churches and I did things on theology of technology, meaning how do we use technology faithfully and righteously from a media production and a worship team perspective, and you know making sure that people don't look or run to your church because of how flashy it is or how mm-hmm. cool your equipment is or how energetic your songs are or hip and hopping but for them to still be able to see jesus and leading the congregation to that and then was this all in english sorry to interrupt yeah i did everything in english and i had i had two translators um one was in training and one was a a guy that has been doing it for several years now um so i had a translator from english to spanish my father-in-law had a translator from russian to spanish and Tony, he's actually fluent in Spanish, so he was able to do it himself. Um, so that's that's been my experience for the last... So I came back this past Monday, <coughs> the 8th, May 6th, 15th, 15th. So I was gone the 8th through the 15th. What do you think, is, if you can summarize, like to one, one takeaway from this whole trip, one lesson or I don't, I don't even know, just one thing, one thing that you brought back with you as far as like, what you learned or what this experience has taught you? Um, I think I've, there's, there's, it's, it's hard to point just one thing, but it's, I feel a deeper or maybe a, a more stronger compassion towards poor people of, I guess you could say third world countries or maybe second world. Um, and just being there, helping them out, coming with just simplicity, you know, just being there to educate them because they are so hungry for the word, for good teaching and biblical preaching, and they do need a lot of guidance. Um, So I did really enjoy, and I actually do want to go back, uh, but I don't think I'll be able to go back this year, Um, maybe next year for sure. So I do like, I did see a new thing in me that I was kind of like meh towards less fortunate or poor people. I'm not saying Cuba is absolutely poor, but they are definitely not as well off as we are here in the States. And it's just hard to put that in words. So, yeah. How is God's word as a Bible availability there? You Hard to you get. You can't buy a Bible there. Let's just put it that you can't. Um, the only way you get a Bible is someone brings it to you. So you can deliver. You can, um, but it has to be like through people. You can't like ship a container of Bibles there because the country itself, uh, I think they identify as just atheist or at least that's what the 
government preaches is like we don't believe in anything you shouldn't believe in anything but there's a huge there is a big catholic presence in cuba big catholic presence um and so any bibles that are being distributed there is usually just people bringing in for through their carry-ons or check bags or whatever Hmm. so yeah which is not not a lot yeah (laughs) you know you can't bring a suitcase of bibles because you're going to go way over 50 pounds real quick so it's it has its challenges for sure yeah. Um, do a lot of people have Bibles at home or no? Just because you can't buy one like the churches that you went to? Um, over the last four or five years, I know there's been organizations that have been bringing Bibles in and distributing them. Um, so from what I was told, at least in the province that we were in, uh, I think every family and church at least had one Bible. Okay, that's good. Uh, probably not one Bible per person, mm-hmm. but at least one physical yeah. Bible per family. That's good. Just makes me think like how even back in the old days, they used to meditate on God's word. They would have a sermon preached and they would think about pretty much the passage that was read and mm-hmm. throughout the entire week until they would be able to hear the sermon the next week. Yeah. So there, there's definitely different approaches to how they do church. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't really get to sit under any preaching there because I was asked myself to do a, uh, a lesson for the young teens, 13 through 15-year-olds, mm-hmm. pretty much like a Sunday school class. So I was asked to lead a class on Sunday for them and pretty much for the church that we were at, they'll have like 30, 40 minutes of worship together as a congregation mm-hmm. and then they'll break out into groups and that's how they get the message. Mm-hmm. So the older people stay with the pastor inside the church but all the other age groups, they'll spread out across the houses there in front where their village is and yeah, by age groups. So that's how they get it. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's very different. Music is very different. Traditions are very different. You know, their approach to church is very different than what we're accustomed to just from the style, the music, the instruments. It's very different. So it was yet, interesting. Yeah, God is glorified all the way. It's amazing. Sometimes <clears throat> I, I realize that how much more we have here but it's not always a good thing. Yeah. Because because we have such an influx, it's such an abundance of translations, understandings, different dom- denominations. It's sometimes we that could be a negative effect because we stray away from the gospel oftentimes and focus on things that are not really worth debating and arguing over and we forget. I don't say we stray away from the gospel, but I I, I say we forget the significance of the gospel. Um, and I think that that could take a negative effect because we don't put our focus on it, right? And talking about a place like Cuba, even though there's a lack of certain things that we don't that we have here an abundance of, if God is glorified, you see that. I feel like you maybe see that more over there even sometimes you feel like, yeah. wow, you know, the, well, the, these people are focused on the gospel. I will say that there is a strong contemporary American influence on how they do worship in church there. there's def- You definitely see that very evident. That might be a cultural thing too. I don't know. I think it's just a f- you considering that a lot, It's you're coming into a Catholic, mostly religious kind of country, um, but at the same time atheist. And most of the churches are very young churches, like five years and under, 10 years and under in, mm-hmm. in existence, being pastored by pastors that have only been Christians five years, seven years maybe. 
a few of them maybe longer. So they don't have that deep traditional or just any exposure to anything else kind of, they don't have that rootedness. And that's why my father-in-law and Tony went there with this mission to over the, at least the course of two years to train them to shepherd according on the gospel centered shepherding of churches. That's their mission. Not so much as evangelizing, but training pastors to be pastors because the, the, the gospel exploded there and still is. And so you have, and people can't travel as we can here. So they build small churches, like 50, 150 people inside the little villages that they live in, like communities, like neighborhoods. Um, and so you have, you know, several thousand churches, all small, but all need guidance. All the pastors need guidance of how to lead those churches. And that's where they lack right now. So that's what my father-in-law and our friends is doing. So they definitely need a lot of guidance. And you can definitely see the cultural influence. And God will provide. Well. Yeah. Yeah, he'll, he'll, of course, provide. Hey, speaking of missionary journey. I also like how <laughs> it, it blends so well with Galatians too, right? <laughs> yes. We have different cultures, but the gospel is the center. Transition. Over Transition uh, ran over by a truck. <laughs> it's okay. It's still on, still on though. Are you done, bro? <laughs> Um, we're going to get into chapter two today and Paul's going to give, um, a little bit more, a little bit more for us of a background and he's going to focus still, I think on the same, mostly on the same topic of his calling and the gospel that he received from Christ. Um, he's going to talk about that, how it's not a man-made receive, received gospel. It is a gospel of Christ and, uh, amongst other things. Not yes. The only but one. also kind of, I think the priority of the gospel above everything else. Mm-hmm. We get we get towards the, that towards the end of the chapter. I don't know so if we're gonna get there. If you're gonna join us in this, um, maybe open later or where you are now, chapter two. We're gonna start from verse one to ten, and uh, we'll have Mark read read God's word. Then after fourteen years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. And I went up because of a revelation, and I laid out to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation, lest somehow I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But this was because of the false brothers secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our freedom, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to enslave us. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even a moment, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. While those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, For he who worked in Peter unto his apostleship to the circumcised work in me also unto the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. So in this in the, in the chapter two so far, I think in this opening, um, he he begins by saying that he went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and Titus, and uh, the interesting thing about that is 
his infrequent visits to Jerusalem, even though his background and the fact that he is now. But it was also on purpose. Right, right. But, but also the fact that he's now glorifying Christ through the gospel. You would think that Jerusalem would probably be a place he would go to more, but that's not right. That's not what his calling was for. He was calling was for the Gentiles, and that's, that's something he explains, the, un, the uncircumcised. Um, I don't know. It's just interesting that within 14 years, he made v- very little trips to Jerusalem because a devout Jew would, would go there a lot more. Yeah, I mean, he did three missionary, completed three missionary <clears throat> journeys. Mm-hmm. Which for I, aid. I'm not sure was that within the 14 years total, but this specific thing that he's talking about here in verse 1 is taken from Acts 15, mm-hmm. which is uh, he finishes his first missionary trip in, at the end of Acts 14. Um, and then that's where they are presented with this issue of circumcision. And so Acts 15, the first half of it is them, or pretty much the whole chapter, it's really about them discussing this, hey, do new believers actually need to be circumcised if they're Gentiles. Right, big topic. That was a big issue. It was a big issue, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're talking about, you know, thousands of years of them been doing this. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, hey, you. this was literal instruction from God to do this. And now you want us to stop? I can see why this was such a hot issue. Um, But that's what he's talking about here, him going to Jerusalem again, uh, discussing this issue of circumcision in Acts 15. So just a little context about mm-hmm. him bringing this subject matter uh, forth here. And we notice that he takes Titus and, and Barnabas uh, along with him also. Uh, not to focus too much on that, but I think for Titus it was more of he was probably being a shepherd to him in one way, right? Titus was kind of learning off of him, and he did, he did many trips with him. But it could also, he, I mean, it's been probably 17 years since Paul was converted, he mm-hmm. met Titus probably within this 14-year period. So he might have already shepherded him into a elder position or a pastor position. And he it was pretty much, like you said, a delegation or more like a conference that they were having to discuss this thing. Yeah, because at the end of Acts 14, he went back to Antioch where he started his missionary journey. And he was then called to go to Jerusalem to help Peter and James you know, settle this issue of circumcision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he also says he went because of a revelation as well. Yeah, it, but it was. Uh, I, no, I, I know. I'm just. I've, I've questioned that to him like revelation, like you know, yeah. And there's times that he said will call something a revelation if, um, just because Peter or James or somebody else from some elder told him to go do something, but he I will think, still reference yeah. that as a revelation. But I think it, it could have also been. It was clearly a um, a calling that he had to go to in order to answer this yeah, yeah. topic because they were gathering again as a council to discuss mm-hmm. the topic of circumcision and then the circumcision of the Gentiles and he being the apostle of the Gentiles knew that he had yeah. to be there. And Paul himself, he was circumcised. Yeah. He talks about the Philippians where he says he was circumcised in the eighth day. So we know that. And of course, we know Peter was circumcised. All the Jews were pretty much circumcised. Um, but here we see this still a big hot issue between do Gentiles need to be circumcised or not or, or something else. And so he, this whole section is pretty much him trying to clarify that him preaching to the Gentiles is the same gospel message that 
Peter is preaching to the Jews regardless of circumcision. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so he kind of talks about that here, clarifying that that's the same message from the same source, Jesus Christ. Um, and that circumcision, it's really nothing at this point. Yeah, I think the from chapter one, he was talking, his focus was on how he did not receive the gospel from man, but he received it from Christ. Mm -hmm. um, he talked about how verse 16, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. And we talked about that, that he didn't necessarily consult with them about the gospel message or anything. And so for 17 years, he was preaching a gospel, converting believers but he was not necessarily even related or joined to the Jerusalem church. He was almost like independent flying solo on this journey. Um, Cause it's like, right. Um, verse 22 in chapter one. And I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which are in Christ, but only they kept hearing, right? So they didn't even see him. They didn't know him personally, but they only heard about him and the great deeds that God was doing through him. And verse 24, and they were glorifying God because of me. So here he is again, but he comes also not only for this council, but to kind of, I maybe jump into verse two. Yeah. Go for it. Mm -hmm. And I laid out to them the gospel, which I preached among the Gentiles, but I did so in private to those who were of reputation, lest somehow I might be running or had run in vain. What do you guys, how, how do you understand that? So he first, there's there's two sets of, from my understanding, two sets of people that he's spoken to that he lays out. So he said, he laid out to them the gospel, to them, which I preach among the Gentiles. I say that uh, this was probably the people he saw in Jerusalem or wherever he visited. Um, well, I don't know, because he says, but I did so in private to those of reputation. So I think he did lay it out, but only to those. So maybe just James, James, um, Peter to, and John. To the apostles, okay, okay. to those who were actually. I was reading it It was the apostles and the elders of the church. Mm. So it wasn't just the apostles. They went to the Jerusalem church um, and it was the apostles and elders that they gathered to discuss this issue. And so I don't think he did it on a one by one private type setting, but I, I think the context is that it was a, I guess you could say a business meeting for the elders and apostles to discuss this. It wasn't a public congregation type environment. It was more, it was more closed off. Was he just doing that so that like, you know, it can kind of just trickle down from them or was he like trying well, not to offend them or something? Cause I, I get what you're saying, but then that last part doesn't really make sense. Um, less was, by any means I might run or had run in vain. My first, like, my first impression is that he's trying to solidify his own gospel that it's the same between him and Peter who they do trust not his own gospel but and that it's not that they it matches up and it's not something he just made up yeah and preaching it as absolute truth that's that's kind of like my first impression that he's trying to not build credibility to himself maybe but more so towards the gospel that he's preaching which is the same thing that Peter's preaching mm -hmm. mm. that's the sense I'm getting from yeah I think that's that's on point, but one of the key points that I think he was preaching specifically was um, salvation by faith and that there are no works that can add mm -hmm. or in, uh, strengthen your salvation in that regard because immediately verse three, right? He says, but not even Titus who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. So I'm pretty sure that topic came up in their discussion. 
because he was talking about the gospel message. And then in this discussion, they were like, well, do you circumcise those who are believers? And even though maybe they had arguments towards it, he says even Titus was with him. He was not even compelled to be circumcised because of the arguments that they put forth. But why is he bringing up Titus as an example if he's Greek? Isn't the problem the Jews upholding that tradition? It was showing that they they reject circumcision as a way to salvation completely. And he, he uses Titus to back up the thought, like, hey, even Titus not compelled, even though Timothy did get circumcised, which was for a reason not to offend the Jews. So I guess what I'm saying is he brings it up that Titus was with him, but they decided that he doesn't need to be circumcised. He doesn't want to get circumcised because they reject that you need circumcision for salvation. So he's Paul just as he's just as included, even though he's not circumcised and he's a Gentile. Yes. I think he just includes him as a strong, like, like, a, like a, he's making a point. Like a good a case. example. Um, I, I guess that's how I understand it. Also, I wanted to say that, um, well, we're not getting into four yet, so I'll hold off. <laughs> Do you guys have anything else? I think verse four is kind of part of this whole two yeah, that's, thing I, because I, it, it seems like there's multiple conversations being had and we don't know necessarily the schedule when he met with who, but we do know there were conversations had, um, and I think they're all linked, right? Because there's but, but, but. Mm-hmm. So question is, based on what we've read so far, who are those of high repute? Because in the group of those who are high repute, did Titus not accept the fact that he had to be circumcised regardless of their um, arguments? Were those in chapter four considered, or verse four considered of high repute? That's my question. Was it like a super private select group of people? Like, I think it's the leaders of the Jerusalem church. Okay. So we so mentioned he, earlier so he Paul, didn't go, Peter, and so John. So he didn't go in front of the whole church, in front of the entire congregation. No, no. 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 Which, they went behind closed doors. Which I read that verse wrong. This. That's why I, I thought there was two groups, but you're right. Mm-hmm. He's talking about one group. He went into private and talked to them because they were the leaders. Um, but I think it was a re- reaffirmation of that. He was just dealing with the issue, how he was dealing it. But more importantly, Mark, I, I think it's good to discuss who were the leaders. Let me, but more let importantly, me add to that. Go ahead. Before before you say your thing. I like when Serge interrupts. Sorry. Yeah. I, just had, I just had to because <laughs> he usually I, doesn't. I don't know what your thought, where you're going with your thought right now. And maybe this, this might somewhat change it. Um, maybe not. <laughs> so reading Acts 15, it says that um, when they arrived to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and, el- and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. Mm-hmm. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, is it necessary to circumcise them? Judaizers. Pharisees. Pharisees stood up. Yes. It's the so, Pharisees okay. that brought the question up, at least mm-hmm. in four. Acts 15. But the Judaizers were the one who... Judaizers it. were the ones that was that were kind of going around city to yeah. city. Well, that would make sense, right? Yeah. The Pharisees are the ones who were kind of keepers of the law as well. So it's like, wait, do you not circumcise so them? What he's the people that he's talking here to in Galatians two is the apostles, the elders of the church, and the Pharisees. Well, the Pharisees were believed believers, so I think they're maybe. I th- I'm I'm pretty sure it was the elders of the church or those of high, yeah, high repute Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, yeah. So they were believers, but yeah. they were also kind of elders and leaders. But at the same time, it, they could have still hold their pharisaical 
office potentially. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know at that time whether where, or not where I was be. going as I can see why Paul would uh, mention people of high reputation or of high repute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Go back to your. Thought. Yeah, I, I don't think you. It doesn't really change okay. what I was gonna say. I was gonna say the most important question is, what is going on that he's doing this? What's the whole point of this? We kind of mentioned it briefly, but I wanted to touch because verse four says the whole, mm-hmm. the whole problem, right? He says, but this was because. So why is all of this going on? Is because of the false brothers secretly brought in, who had sneaked in to spy out our freedom, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to enslave us. <laughs> it's it's he kind of puts this together like this is kind of rough, like saying that this brings bondage. If you're gonna preach circumcision, you're bringing forth bondage to Christian so liberty. But they were implanted spies. Yes, which were which what I would touch on is I think that's the that's this is what the Judaizers were. So let's that they were among let's the explain, church. Let's explain here what is this bondage or enslavement and this mm-hmm. freedom in Christ that he's talking about here. What is that? Acts based faith, circumcision, but also following certain laws in order to receive their salvation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can jump ahead and read like chapter three, but I won't do that. I feel like <laughs> I feel like there's a little bit more that can be said. You try to, you're trying to draw an answer out that you already have. I know, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want to be the only one talking. <laughs> That's fine. No, it's not. I think. I think you didn't talk at all. The last freedom time, in which so we have in Christ clear. Jesus, in order to enslave us. So just by just by preaching circumcision, it is they're adding an act for salvation. When in reality, Christ, Christ Jesus is the gospel. He is the salvation, and so they're trying to add something to the gospel. Yeah, that's pretty much where I was going at. I just wanted that to be stated clearly. But that's right? kind of what we were hinting at. Yeah, I said acts based. Well, none of us says based Jesus. Faith. He said. What'd you say? I forget. You said the same thing though. You <laughs> were like, much. they were talking about we're the law the bringing back circumcision. That was the problem. I just wanted yeah. to state that okay. verse four, Paul says that is the issue that's going on and it's bad. Yeah. And going all the way back to chapter one, verse six, I marvel that you are so quickly deserting him who are, who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Mm-hmm. So they were, it, it was to the point where it was contrary to the gospel. Yeah. It's interesting that they're not rejecting Jesus, but they are adding something to the gospel. I was so my question then to you guys is if if these are people who are not necessarily rejecting Jesus like you said, they have heard the gospel, they've almost I mean you can't say they've accepted it, right? Like they've they've acknowledged that I'll just say that. And yet they're still going back to their old ways of of things, of of circumcision being the thing that gets you to heaven of you know, these, these basic fundamental like rules that our men have made to get yourself to heaven. Do you like, why, why would they go back? For, for them, it's, it's not necessarily man-made rules. It's more about well, the mosaic a lot of, law. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's, that's the issue here is the mosaic law. But what, what would drive them to go back to that? Why would things. you be free? As, as we're reading here, why would you have that freedom, that liberty, like my Bible well, says, that sounds so amazing. I want to say it's, it's, it's more than just circumcision because circumcision means something. This is a big deal. This is not just, you're not just circumcised so you can tell people. Circumcision means you become part of the Jewish background. You, most, you pretty much become Jewish. And so 
not only did they not remember there was strife between them and gentiles they weren't very accepting of gentiles mm -hmm. that's why they wanted that rule hey you're a gentile you need to become jewish by circumcision pretty much is what they were saying if you want to be saved so that's that's the whole issue right is your status needs to change yeah because circumcision is eternal you do it once there's no you can't uncircumcise you right? can't lose your circumcision right no so <laughs> so so that's the issue and they weren't accepting of gentiles and so not Paul, only Paul's not only not accepting it. right they were it was pretty much if you're not getting circumcised you're not mm -hmm. a christian yeah. up to that point which was contrary to the gospel and i think um later on in the same chapter paul even calls out peter um specifically because the things that Peter was doing were contrary to the gospel. Okay. Then even on a more broad spectrum, why do we as humans have that tendency to take God's beautiful free gift to us, this freedom that we have, this liberty that we have through his son, the freedom from those, the, that bondage that we're reading here. Why do we take that and still want to add some meaningless laws that'll or, or qualifications whatever you want to call them whether they're man-made or whether they're like the mosaic laws where it's something that god himself may have commanded upon the the jews why do we have this tendency to just take god's free gift and like regress almost or make it more difficult in a way because like doesn't that just make things more difficult to have to have like a checklist of things to do in their case it was it was culture driven tradition driven and what they've known all this time. This is Jerusalem we're talking about. So in in their case, if we're looking at this context, if you're asking, if you wanna compare maybe to our modern day, I feel like we add, we people still add to the gospel nowadays, right? Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of stuff. Um, I think we spoke about this, our first or second recording. It comes into legalism field, battlefield is what it is, and, and people add because that's their drive. They feel like you are holier if you are more. The holier you are, the closer you are to God and that you start looking down on others who are not as holy. I think modern day legalism, that's kind of what it consists of, mm -hmm. but it's still adding to the gospel because people take it far. Yeah, in simple terms, I kind of want to say what you're kind of hinting at. Um, verse 10 in chapter one, Paul says, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God, or am I striving to please men? Mm -hmm. If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a slave of Christ. And what he's really telling here, because this is what exactly was happening in the churches in Galatia, is that these Judaizers were literally coming in, telling people to get circumcised just so they can get a pat on the back or feel that pride of, you know, like, oh, people listen to me. I'm important or I fulfilled this mission that I was sent on to get these people to get certain, whatever the case may be, is that they were seeking the acceptance or approval of men, whether it be from the Pharisees, from the priest, or just the people of the city or whatever. They're seeking that acceptance among men, mm -hmm. not so much of God. And that's why Paul is saying, I'm not seeking that. Otherwise, I would, I would not be a slave of Christ. So you can't be a plea, uh, someone that's seeking uh, acceptance, favor of man or the people and of Christ at the same time. You can't serve two gods, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why he's bringing this issue up this way and saying these things that, um, or to answer your question, why we might be so stuck up on adhering to s certain things, knowing that one, either they're unbiblical or they're just purely tr tr traditional and cultural, 
they might have good moral intentions. Maybe that's why. Uh, but maybe something that a lot of times, like you said, in legalism, is that they're blind to the fact that really it's just a prideful thing when it comes down to the root. Yeah, I think there's a, a, few, a few different specific reasons for it. Um, but even the Pharisees, even though it was their tradition, it was a misinterpretation of the Old Testament law. Um, or just God's word in general. And what they did was, I think, personally for me, um, it's a somewhat elevation of self-worth or achievement because if the entire message of your faith is, I'm a worthless wretch, worth nothing, and Christ saved me, it kind of like almost a little depressing. If you look at it from that perspective where you want to kind of lift yourself up, maybe kind of pat yourself on the back, good job, you did this. And that's what workspace salvation adds to it, where if you are somehow involved or if you do something in order for you to get closer to Christ, that lifts you up. I'm just reminded of when we were going through Ephesians, Ephesians 2, 1. And you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also formerly conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. That's the whole message of the gospel. We were dead. Christ made us alive. When you start adding all these different rules and laws in order to achieve your salvation, um, it nullifies the gospel. There's a quote I wanted to read that I found by Martin Luther that I think will kind of touch very well and what everything we're talking about here. But he said that on this passage, he said, the believing Jews, however, could not get it through their heads that circumcision was not necessary for salvation. They were encouraged in their wrong attitude by the false apostles. The result was the people were up in arms against Paul and his doctrine. And so this is this is what Paul is facing at this moment. So this not only could they not get the circumcision out of their heads uh, because of the legalism, but I think they were still still not accepting of Gentiles just becoming one with mm. with them still. So all of this was kind of a brewing, unless, brewing unless they issue. were circumcised. Right. Yeah. All of this was a brewing issue. But I think we should we should continue reading because mm-hmm. he kind of gets into this a little more. Go for it. Um he says in verse 5, but we did not yield in subjection to them for even a moment so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. I know um, I know I said go for it, but I do have one question <laughs> in verse 4. <laughs> Of course you do. <laughs> I was just, I was like, wait, did we finish everything? Did we, did we go through every possible caveat? Um, just kidding. Uh, it, my question is false brothers secretly brought in. Was that within the Greek churches, right? Cause that's kind of how I'm reading it. Whereas they were in their churches and then secretly they were brought in to kind of spy on them who had sneaked in to spy out our freedom, which we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. Or was it specifically within this council? No, it sounds like it was within the churches. I mean, he's writing specifically to the church in Galatians mm-hmm. and, and uh, the churches in Galatia with this specific problem. Yeah. So it definitely sounds like brothers secretly brought in maybe to one church in that area mm-hmm. or to several. I won't be surprised if it's several. Mm-hmm. But they were sent by someone. Otherwise, you're not a spy. 
right? If you're not sent by someone to have a specific purpose, which is in this case, preach circumcision in addition to the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I want to say that w- we can't focus just on this verse to understand what Paul is saying. Mm-hmm. We have to reference back to Galatians 1, okay. uh, verses 6 and 9, because these these guys, it's not like they had a mission and they knew what they were doing was deception. They thought they were doing the right thing. It's something that they held on to that they couldn't let go. I don't but know if we can. That's how that's how I see it. If we reference. But why does he call them false brothers um, in verse four? Because because of the of the uh, false gospel that that now was brought forth. Um, I, what I'm saying is from their point of view. Again, mm-hmm. this is up for discussion. I'd love to discuss this. From their point of view, I don't think they knew they were false brothers, but but I think they thought they were doing the right thing. Well, every person that's not like a simple, for sake of simple conversation, everybody, anybody that's not good, thinks that what he's doing is right. Mm-hmm. Right. So in this case, anybody that contradicts the gospel, yeah, is a false. But bro- I don't is what he means by false brother. Well, they were specifically sent out, right, to go spy who had sneaked in to spy out our freedom. Their specific goal, these Judaizers, went into the Greek churches in order to change them or in order to enslave them. But by who? <laughs> That's we don't my know question. By who? Uh, That's what I'm saying. Is I don't think it really matters by who. His wording. His wording. I, I think we can't cling and think that they're spies sent by somebody. I think he's just describing of who they appear to be. Certain types of people that came. The way they act with, is but, what they seem but like. But it also looks like they came with, an, with the intent to enslave them. I don't know. I would disagree. But again, I'm, I, I'm just, just saying off, that I'm just going off of what. There I'm are people that do come into churches specifically with the intent to deceive or to change or to kind of start having conversations with people. Yeah, like the, um, the book of Jude talks to, about to lead that. people away. Yeah, so it's something that we do have to be watchful of and careful of. But but Paul's whole point is this can be fixed with the gospel. Yeah, he's not saying they're not saved. He's saying they're preaching the wrong gospel. Mm-hmm. But he's trying to fix it. It's yeah. almost like he's not even trying to fix it. He's trying to tell them. He's trying to get them to understand that nothing was broken to begin with. Like, why are you guys taking something that was perfect? and breaking it by adding these laws. Like there was no problem here. That's what he's kind of saying in verse six and six through nine of chapter one. Like you're turning away from the thing that called you to the grace of Christ. Like you're taking that perfect, that perfect gospel, that perfect truth and perverting it and you're ruining it just to please men. So it's like, and I, I love how passionate he is in verse four and five. I, to me, I'm just like, I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it almost seems like he's frustrated when he's writing this, like the way the, the verbiage that he's even using, the liberty which we have in Christ, that we might be brought uh, us into bondage. Like that's such a strong word to use bondage. Um, and then verse five, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Just you can see how passionate he is about this this situation that the Galatians are going through. But they were also, I think, fighting on behalf of the other churches, right? That's what they were there for because the end of verse five, you just read it, so that the truth of the gospel would would remain with you. They were saying that we did not submit, we held our ground because that's what the gospel is. And it's not like, you know, oh, let's compromise. Again, verse six in chapter one, he says that they're deserting 
him mm. who called you. Yeah. So it's a process. They they in in effect they are on their path on their way to desertion of the gospel, and and what they're saying is a false gospel if they're bringing circumcision into it. Mm. My my main point is this is a this is a a process. He sees a downward spiral that he is now coming forced to face, um, but. What I'm saying is maybe maybe these people thought what they were doing was was right from their eyes. Uh, the way he says, my whole point is, but it doesn't matter if it's right in their eyes. It's wrong. And I know. It's wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah it I doesn't justify them. Is not what I'm saying. It was a misinterpretation, but it could mm-hmm. have also been a uh, pride on their own behalf. Very well, I very well might be, and and, I, and I'm not I'm not taking that out. I'm just saying because he says sneaked in to spy out our freedom. Mm-hmm. I think that's a way of expression describing what they're doing. But I'm not. He's not saying that they were spies sent by somebody. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, we might be holding on to this too long. I Sorry. move on, but. I see. That's what I do. <laughs> uh, Verse ten. <laughs> let's 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 keep going. So uh, the truth of the gospel would remain with you. Again, you made that point. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. What does that mean? Very interesting. Exactly. What who is he talking about, and what does he mean? Good question. I think, again, that goes back to verse 10, chapter 1. Um, no matter who Paul talks to, he doesn't care what they say or think contrary to what he says. He's not seeking their acceptance. He's not seeking um, their favor. He doesn't really care so much for their reputation. All he cares about is, do you accept the gospel? Yes or no, in simple terms. And the fact that they are arguing with him or trying to debate him or, you know, whatever the case may be, he's he's talking to, to a Pharisee like he would to a regular Gentile trying to prove them this is the gospel, nothing else. Mm-hmm. That's it. And when he says they contributed nothing to me, that means they added nothing to the gospel message that I proclaimed to them. Yeah, or, or possibly the fact that he got nothing out of it, like mm. not no... No reward, no special privileges, nothing out of that. So is he talking about certain leaders in the churches who may have like started to get a little too... Well, he brings them up. He brings up Peter, for example, yeah. as what mm. Peter was doing. But I think he, he's saying that the gospel is not handed from th- from those guys to him. He's preaching a message that's just like theirs, but he's preaching it from Christ. It was a revelation from Christ, not given to to him by... Uh, Peter, James, John, anybody that um, were doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. He, he, his, his gospel is the same, and his gospel is through Christ. Yeah, and, but and also he, he talks about Peter, James, and John as being reputable in verse 9. Yeah, yeah. He's just saying it's not like I'm, I receive this from man. Yeah, I like, I like that fact, um, specifically when he says, but they, what, but no, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. So he's like, just because they were of reputable men, just mm-hmm. maybe even if they were apostles, it doesn't matter to me at all because I received the gospel from Christ and not from them. Yeah. So definitely shows how assured Paul is in what he believes in. Mm-hmm. But right. it also shows that they were on the same exact plane. Yes. They had no differences in their gospel message yeah. and they came to the same and agreement. Yeah, and what that can uh, also imply is the fact that God doesn't give or look at someone differently, whether you're apostle, 
a Pharisee, mm-hmm. a Gentile, or a Jew. You're held to the same standard of placing your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ being your savior. That's the standard, nothing else. So he doesn't look at who you are or how righteous you might think in your eyes or what position you held within the hierarchy of Judaism or whatever the case may be. He's saying God shows no partial. And James talks about this again in his letter, right? So God expects everyone uh, that is coming to salvation to believe in Christ as their only source of salvation, nothing else, no matter who you are. So he came to defend the gospel message that he was preaching. He presented it to them. Some people disagreed with them, kind of try to continue to push the circumcision onto the Gentiles and push it, putting on these shackles on them. And yet those of the most repute were on the same page and in agreement with what Paul was preaching, right? If you continue on with yep. verse seven. Mm-hmm. I think I think seven through 10 needs to be talked about as a whole thing. Let's do it. He, it's an idea that he's saying. So, or um, evidence that he's bringing forth here. He says, but on the contrary... So he says, well, those make no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I have had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who worked in Peter unto his apostleship, that he circumcised, worked in me also unto the Gentiles. And recognizing that grace had been given to me, James, Cephas, and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. So before we end with verse 10, verses 7, 8, or 9, he's, he's saying the gospel was given by Christ just as it was given to Peter to the circumcised, was given mm-hmm. to me for the uncircumcised. Yeah, but it's interesting, the wording too, mm-hmm. worked in Peter and then worked in me. So it was an actual work um, that was directly from God and not necessarily something that he made up himself. So God was doing all of it. Yes. Yes. Um, and in, in here in, in verse nine, and recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James, Cephas, and John, who were reputed pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. So he's saying that they will they join us in this gospel as well because it's for the circumcised and uncircumcised. Mm-hmm. It's one gospel. It's yeah. furthermore doing what Serge was saying, mm-hmm. that it's putting everybody on the same plane. It's showing that even though I went over here to teach this and they're over here teaching this, we're all teaching the same thing. It's, it's actually all the same gospel. And we're actually all doing the same thing here. There's no difference between what I'm teaching and what they're teaching. I I think there's kind of like a little interesting point where he talks about reputable. He specifically goes to have this private meeting with those who are reputable. And then um, we were just reading in verse six, he doesn't really care about those with reputation because God shows no partiality between people. Um, And yet he also kind of adds in verse nine, that James, Cephas, and John, pillars. who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. So it's almost like, yeah, just because, you know, we were in this group of elders and leaders and had these discussions, we were on the same page. In fact, those who are the pillars of the church agreed with us and um, decided to have this, share this hand in fellowship. Yeah, he, he he's saying that, He's, he's stressing the fact that the gospel is going to the uncircumcised as well through him. That's his ministry. Just as the reputable men, 
Peter, James, John were doing in the Jerusalem church mm-hmm. because he's in Jerusalem. He has to address that. Um, I think he's just tackling this problem head on, and we know what the problem is, right? We discussed it. He, he's tackling it head on, but he's also saying that he's he is supported, but most importantly, this is all of a gospel given by Christ, that Christ is doing all this work through them. It, it mm-hmm. seems like more of a mature letter. It's like he, he's talking to people who, who they know a little bit more so than maybe just brand new believers. And it seems like the way he's tackling this situation, he's talking to them like, all right, you guys know what's going on. Like, you guys have, have been doing this for a while. Like, this is not this is nothing new to you. And it seems like the way he's tackling this specific problem by associating himself with, with Peter, um, with James and John, by creating this connection, I think it's a better use of, it's how, I think it's getting to the, his audience better by explaining it in that way. Because to them, these guys have authority. They they are those reputable people. So if he's over here connecting himself to them and if he's explaining to them in a way that they can understand that just like you guys hold them to a reputable standard, I, I'm doing the same thing on my end. And, and that by default validates what he's teaching about circumcision. Yeah, uh, it's funny because next recording if we talk about it he actually goes in and he he uh re- rebukes peter for some of the things he was doing takes it to the next level. yeah and, and so i think this is kind of like an opening he does mention how reputable they are but he holds nothing back and that they're on the same page even when they're talking yeah. Yeah, and, and yet yeah. some people have uh and well, and mark i want to go back to what you were saying so the chapter one and two here we're we're seeing that um, there is, there is this kind of, he's addressing the Galatians. He's addressing the Galatians, but he, he's saying that they have, they have the, uh, the gospel is distorted and that's a big problem to them. So they, they know, they know a lot that they're supposed to know, but I think they're still missing the most important piece and straying away from it mm-hmm. because of the legalism and circumcision. That's what I wanted to add. But there's some application I want to talk about if you guys are done. I think we're done. Yeah. yeah. yeah there's one more thing we can add. Verse 10. Only they asked us to remember the poor. The very thing I I was, or I also was eager to do. Kind of, I was, when you were talking about the Cuba trip, I was like, man, that's exactly what um, Paul's talking about here in verse 10. And I, I question is, why did they bring this up? Why did they kind of ask him to remember the poor? Hmm. I want to say it might connect to the fact that he he's made trips to Jerusalem before in support of the poor, but we might have to have reference acts for that. I don't remember. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. I know that um, just taking a more, I guess, higher view, uh, just l- reading the Gospels and looking over Jesus' ministry, that was always his target audience. He always... Uh, was surrounded by the less fortunate, the sick, the poor. That's the people that he personally went to. Mm-hmm. There was a few instances that he uh, himself went to, you know, more well-off people like Zacchaeus, for example, mm-hmm. right? But he's the one that went to the sick. He's the one that mm-hmm. went to the poor, the unfortunate. Um, and I, to me, what that speaks is it's, 
a desire to help those in need is a strong marker of a true Christian. Uh, them having that love, that compassion towards the less fortunate and helping them, bringing the gospel to them and um, taking care of them speaks volume about who they are. Do you think there's something about that that is like, that's a humbling thing? It Where is. It, these men who are like, I mean, these are... This it is, is Peter, John, James. Because not everyone like, wants to be around the yeah, and, and, and it's almost unfortunate. like it takes these guys who could very easily become prideful, very easily become, you know, they, they could especially, they could benefit a lot. When, you, when you're a leader of a huge church. That's what I'm saying. Like they could benefit a lot, like on a human perspective from what they're doing right now. Yeah. There's they, a lot at stake here. Because Paul was getting monetary aid from different churches, mm -hmm. from different yeah. people. And the church is also one of one of their biggest tasks is to help those in need. Mm -hmm. That's one of their callings. Not maybe not their biggest or their main calling, but it is a big one, and um, it is a huge part of the church life to take to provide aid for those less fortunate. Mm -hmm. um, connection here. So in Acts twenty five. Verse 17, and after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings. So um, in which in which they found me, having been purified in the temple without any crowd or uproar, but there was some Jews from Asia. So there's a description of, of the trip that he, he would make as a, as a supporting trip with supporting the poor and supporting... Uh, monetary trip is what I want to say, mm. kind of. So I think I think it's a it's a connection, and because he says they asked us to remember the poor, uh, he's just he's kind of just putting that in there, saying that they do do that. Yeah, I, it reminds me also of the beginning of Acts, right, where they all had everything in common. No one had really any desire or need because they kind of had this community as a church. Um, to also not hold other people in high regard just because they have a big money purse, but to treat everyone the same. Mm. And that's kind of what he talks about too, because he says, even though they're reputable, but you know, God actually shows no regard in that, in that manner, um, that everyone's the same before God. Yeah. Um, when I was thinking of application, and I hope you guys can, can support me on this one, just reading this text and what Paul is saying here compassionately what he's what he's trying to explain here uh verse six like towards the end is really what's touching me for application he says those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me right we talked about that but looking at if if we were to take a direct application hanging on to paul's idea the gospel comes from christ he he is the source of it don't rely on humans to give you the gospel as a source. And what I mean by that is we, we, we oftentimes fall into focusing on one preacher, one teacher, or sometimes one, one set of preachers that are just talking about the same thing. And, and they're like the source for us where we get this and we align ourselves with their ideas oftentimes. And we think that what they're saying is perfect, right? It can't be refuted. Uh, they they got to be correct to look at the background they have. And sometimes we just rely. What I'm saying is we rely on them too much, but we have to remember they are men, mm -hmm. right? And Paul and, and Paul here makes this point. Yeah, they're reputable, but I didn't receive it from them. This is yeah. from Christ. But also not to submit to anyone, like you said, if they're reputable and they say something that's contradictory, oh, well, you know, maybe what he said is true mm -hmm. because his name is MacArthur. Right. Right. Um, in that regard. Um to if something throws off a red flag 
to immediately ch- test it and check it out instead of just accepting it because it's coming from a trusted source. Right. Remember that your salvation given by Christ to you, not by man, you're not saved because some guy said something. Mm-hmm. You're saved through the power of Christ. So the gospel is revealed to you personally. You have a relationship with Christ. And my point here is don't put that on your back seat. Don't throw that in the back thinking you're good. You have to have, you have to strive to continue spreading the gospel, but you have to have a relationship with Christ because he is your source. The word is your source. Don't look to man for this. Uh, because just like we see here in Galatians even, no matter your your reputation or your background, you can have people around you that are spreading a false message and like it needed help to be refuted. And that's what Paul showed up to do, right? Um, but Christ, Christ has to be the source. It has to be where the gospel is coming from, not man. And furthermore, going along with the same thought that you're going with, Alex, <clears throat> the inverse is also true, that you shouldn't look up to someone so much that it blinds you from the gospel, but you should also not puff your own ego up so much to think that you are so holy, so Christian, so much more educated. Like we can't do the same thing with ourselves either because this is talking about any anybody who picks themselves above what is the only thing that matters, which is the gospel. And we can do that too. There are times where we can look down on someone and wonder how do they not know this? How do they not know this verse? And how do they not have these passages memorized? How could they blatantly mess up this very obvious theological like understanding? We can do the same thing too on, in our lives. If we've been, you know, especially for some of us who we're all, all of us were born into Christian families. You know, we've been going through the whole, the usual spiel of Sunday schools and youth ministries and growing up in a church. You know, we, we in a lot of ways, we have a lot of quote unquote advantage over someone who may have just, just figured out this whole Christian thing yesterday. But we can't allow that to be something that puffs us up. We can't let that be something that makes us think we're, we're closer because we know more. Because at the end of the day, the gospel makes equal men of, out of all of us. It takes all of us who were all undeserving and it makes us all beautiful in God's eyes because of his son. And at that point, it doesn't matter how much you know or don't know mm-hmm. because we're all, <laughs> we're all saved at that point. And that's really what matters. Yeah, I think uh, I love reading through Galatians um, shows the utmost um, authority of the gospel over th- everything else and that we also have to be rooted in what is the gospel. We have to know what it is constantly because there are others who are trying to pervert the gospel or change it or to add to it, to subtract from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, that's what I wanted to say. Verse seven follows, right? He says that I have been entrusted with the gospel but so, so is every one of us. Mm-hmm. By being saved, we receive the gospel. We now have to give it to others. So God is entrusting us with the gospel. And so that's a, he- that's, that's a load we have to carry, but we have to carry it out and we have to focus that this is not a man. I, I, I agree with you, but I also partially disagree with you. Because when he's talking about I've been entrusted, he's talking about apostleship. Yeah. Yes, right. yes, but I'm saying I agree that yeah, we are spreading of the gospel, knowing the gospel, right. spreading the gospel, right. talking about it. Yeah, I'm not I'm not saying directly what he's saying is exactly the same. Yeah. He's apostle Paul. I just want it to be controversial. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, but it's good. It's good to to kind of throw that in there so people are not, you know, misunderstanding, but to an extent every saved person is entrusted with the gospel to bring mm-hmm. it forth to others. And so um just Remember that it is given by Christ. It has to be around Christ. 
not man, not law, mm-hmm. Christ. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this wonderful word you have given us. Um, just looking into Galatians chapter 2 and reading the wonderful words inspired and written by Paul, Lord, and we were able to take that and think about it and see where he's coming from, Lord. Let us focus on <clears throat> spreading the gospel to others, Lord. Let us focus on uh, holding firm and defending the true gospel and never laying it, letting it stray away and become something that is... Um, addition or subtraction of the gospel. Thank you for all that you do for us and bless all those who are here and who want to hear your word and who want to grow in it and help them. May your name be praised. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope God was able to speak to your heart so now you can go and share it with others. Feel free to leave any questions, prayer requests, or blessings. Join us on Instagram and share our podcast to others. And remember, always keep your heart in Scripture.